they're not exhaling, what often happens is they're holding their breath. And then that pressure, that tension doesn't have anywhere to go. So it goes towards the path of least resistance, which is the diastasis. If you have diastasis recti, or it goes towards prolapse, which is the bottom of the barrel pelvic floor. There's actually a really funny um, article. It's actually not funny at all, but it's a really interesting article about how many studies, and it's in the tens of thousands have been done on Viagra and uh, erectile dysfunction versus female pelvic pain and painful intercourse in women. And it's like, it's an under-addressed, under-researched, underfunded issue. It's a really common experience, but there is so much help for it so that you don't have to just tolerate it. I hear so often, I can tolerate sex. I'm like, sex should be enjoyable, not just tolerable. I'm Cynthia Overgaard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Trisha Ludwig, Certified Nurse Midwife and International Board Certified Lactation Consultant. And this is the Down to Birth Podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do, but how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth. Hi, everyone. I'm Sarah Reardon, a pelvic floor physical therapist, wife and mom of two, and also have an online presence on Instagram as The Vagina Whisperer. I am a pelvic floor physical therapist and have worked for over 15 years with individuals during pregnancy, postpartum, menopause, and all across a woman's lifespan working on pelvic floor dysfunction, which can span from urinary incontinence, painful intercourse, abdominal separation, or diastasis recti, prolapse, and also just helping women prepare for birth and recover postpartum. I am so excited to be a guest here on the Down to Birth podcast and excited to dive into all things pelvic floor. Well, we are very excited to have you, Sarah. When we first started this podcast, you were one of the very first people that I targeted as we have to get her on the show. I think your your Instagram page is just, your name is fabulous. I mean, who wouldn't want to know what the vagina whisperer knows? Why don't you start by telling us the most common issues that you see uh, as far as post-birth, what women are experiencing, what they are suffering with, and what can be done? Absolutely. So I think just to even take a step back and if someone isn't even familiar with what is the pelvic floor and what is a pelvic floor physical therapist, I think it's really helpful to just understand the part of the body that we're talking about. So when I talk about pelvic floor muscles, there's actually a basket of muscles that sit at the very base of your pelvis and they sling from the pubic bone to the tailbone, front to back and side to side. And they sit like a hammock and these organs help support I'm sorry, these muscles help support your pelvic organs like your bladder, your rectum, and your uterus, which holds a growing babe or babies. Um, These muscles also have sphincters that hold in urine and stool throughout the day. And then when we want to use the restroom, they relax for us to empty. And these muscles also have the vaginal opening for vaginal birth, for menstruation, and for vaginal intercourse. So These are really important functions. And again, we don't talk about this part of our body often, but yet the role of this part of our muscles and our body is so important. When we talk about pelvic floor dysfunction, it's really when one of those systems may not be working well, which can lead to urinary leakage or fecal leakage, which is the loss of stool or gas. Um, It can lead to painful intercourse, which actually one in four women will experience at some point in their lifetime. 
It can lead to prolapse, which is when your pelvic organs are not as supported by that hammock as we would want. And it gives a sensation of something falling out or pressure heaviness in your pelvis or urinary leakage or incomplete emptying during bowel movements. And then also, which we don't think about often um, connected to the pelvic floor is your abdominal wall and your abdominal wall and your pelvic floor are actually part of your core. We talk about our core a lot with respect to our abdominals, but your pelvic floor is the very base of that core. So another condition is called diastasis recti, which is an abdominal separation that can often happen after pregnancy as well. And I always use this analogy of, you know, that pelvic floor is the hammock that helps support a growing fetus um, in the uterus. And we get these emails throughout pregnancy that are saying, your baby's the size of a blueberry, then it's the size of an avocado, then it's the size of a pumpkin. Well, we think if we think about a hammock, Think about a hammock holding a blueberry or an avocado. It's probably not going to change that much. But if a hammock is holding a watermelon or a pumpkin, that's a significant change to that hammock where the muscles are stretched, the ligaments are, um, they're being required to do more. And so just pregnancy itself can change our pelvic floor. And I think often, even if a mother gives birth via cesarean section, we think, oh, her pelvic floor is spared. However, it's just pregnancy itself that can actually change um, the pelvic floor function. And then in addition, because the abdominals and pelvic floor connected, cesarean birth mamas also may have some pelvic floor changes as well. Exactly. I believe in an episode that we did way back in the very beginning with another um, pelvic floor specialist, Tara Gibson, we, she talked about how it sometimes in C-section birth, it can be worse because you've actually cut through so many layers of muscle and tissue. And depending on how the healing process goes, it can really impact your lower pelvic, your pelvic floor, not just your abdomen. Right, right. Absolutely. And we think about a cesarean birth. I mean, that's major abdominal surgery. Um, They cut through a lot of layers of skin and tissue and fascia. The muscles are separated. But after a surgery, we don't just pop back up and kind of start doing our day to day. And I think this kind of, you know, is a a bigger issue in our healthcare system just about postpartum care for mothers in general is that there's just not enough of it. But especially after a cesarean birth, there's just very little guidance or kind of acknowledgement about how do we help these moms really recover. So we opened the episode by talking about, you mentioned four major things, prolapse, incontinence, painful sex, and the diastasis recti. Can we just sort of run through the list beginning with prolapse? And you can talk about um, how a woman would know that she has that, how common it is. And then we'll talk about ways that we can prevent all these things and what to do to treat them. Absolutely. So going back to the function of the pelvic floor as a supportive structure, like a hammock prolapse again is when the pelvic organs are not as well supported. So maybe that muscle gets stretched out and it can lead to the bladder or the rectum or um, the uterus or cervix kind of pushing into the vaginal walls. People used to say like, it's your bladder's falling out and it's not, your bladder's not falling out. It's pushing into the vaginal wall and that vaginal tissue is kind of descending and is more visible or palpable. So sometimes people feel this if they're taking a shower and they kind of start rinsing the vulvar area and they feel like there's a bulge there or they feel heaviness or pressure in their pelvic floor. It typically gets worse towards the end of the day because gravity plays a role. All of that pressure just kind of adds up over the day and they start to feel heavy and achy. It almost is like you want to take your hand and like hold your vag up because it's just heavy. So um, again, it's a common experience, but what we can do for prolapse is 
there's several things is one stop straining. So if you are straining bowel movements, make sure that you're targeting constipation and having easier bowel movements. If you follow me on Instagram, you know, I am an evangelist of the squatty potty, which is a little stool that you put under your feet. Um, you can use a toddler stool, you can use yoga blocks, but it just helps put your hips in a position to better relax for bowel movements. So you don't have to strain also not power peeing, which is when we sit on the toilet and push really hard to empty our bladder. I know moms, um, and including myself, were notorious for trying to rush through everything. But when you sit to pee, you really want to just relax your pelvic floor muscles and let your bladder do the work to empty. And then also strengthening after birth. I think that, you know, again, we just go back to our day-to-day activities of taking care of our other children or going back to the gym. And, you know, these muscles have been stretched and lengthened over the course of pregnancy. And then depending on if you push during birth or you experienced a perineal tear or episiotomy, we want to make sure that we re-strengthen and rehab those muscles to better support um, your organs to minimize the risk of prolapse. Would you say that it's safe to say that all women experience some amount of uterine prolapse after childbirth and that it it's just to the degree of severity, depending on your symptoms post-birth, whether or not you need more aggressive intervention or just over time, it sort of repairs itself? So there's a couple of things. I would say that it's not, the data is really variable where it's somewhere between like 40 to 70 something percent of it, of moms, postpartum women experience some degree of prolapse. Um, And it's not typically the uterus. It could be the bladder. It could be the rectum. However, what we're finding is what we call a grade one prolapse is kind of considered within normal range. So that's really where your organs are still supported. They're above the hymen or their vaginal opening, and you can kind of function without leakage or constipation. When we get to what's called a grade two, which is a little bit lower and kind of just to the vaginal opening, we start being concerned of like, okay, we really, this could only get worse with time if you don't address it. So I wouldn't say it's normal, but I would say it's common. And I think we also have to look at how long did someone push at birth? How many kids have they had? Do they have a family history of prolapse? Do they have a history of constipation? So all of these are risk factors that I would say play a role into whether someone's more likely to experience prolapse in their lifetime. It's pretty common for women to experience some amount of um, changes in their urinary function after birth, at least for a short time. So for the woman who is experiencing um, a little bit of leakage after birth, how do you speak to her about whether that is normal or not normal? Is it going to self-resolve? Does this mean I have prolapse? What does this mean for me? Right. So I, I typically say the general rule of thumb is if at three months postpartum, you are experiencing any symptoms, whether it's prolapse, heaviness, or pressure, whether it's urinary leakage, um, hemorrhoids or constipation, painful intercourse, any symptom, if at three months, the data really shows that you're more likely to still be experiencing those symptoms at 12 months postpartum. So I want as a pelvic floor PT, my life dream is that everyone gets a postpartum pelvic floor check-in around six weeks, just like we would with our physician or or midwife or medical provider, that everyone gets a pelvic floor check-in. But also just if you're not able to make that at 12 weeks, if you're still experiencing symptoms, I would proactively check in with a pelvic floor physical therapist. The reason that incontinence typically occurs is um, when those sphincters that are kind of openings in the pelvic floor muscles are just not closing as well. So that could be weakness of the sphincters. It could be also scar tissue at the perineal opening from um, a perineal tear or episiotomy where that tissue is kind of stuck and scar tissue isn't allowing kind of better contraction of that muscle. 
Um, it could sometimes even be tension. A lot of, you know, people after birth experience pelvic floor tension, it's almost like a muscle spasm or a tight muscle where their muscles are trying to squeeze and they're kind of stuck and not squeezing as effectively. So it's not so blanket as like everybody just do Kegels. But again, I think checking in to say like, what's the cause of this and how do we address it? Because it typically will not resolve on its own if at three months you're still experiencing it. I couldn't agree more with your dream that everyone would go see a pelvic floor specialist because it there's so much silence around it. Women are so afraid that there's something wrong. They don't know who to speak to. It's been my dream, which I think falls short of yours. And it just occurred to me, it falls short of yours. But my dream has always been that um, obstetricians and midwives would know more about the pelvic floor. I mean, they their bar is so low to just say, you're fine. You're in the clear. And these women are going home and they're for months. They're, they're having embarrassing situations. They're experiencing pain. They're having painful sex. I had a woman in my postpartum group on Tuesday who within five minutes of all of us convening, she just started to cry and said, I think I need to have vaginal surgery, everyone because of prolapse. And she talked about feeling ashamed and being embarrassed in front of her husband. And, you know, it's just unbelievable that she too just got the clearance. Like you're good to go. I guess my question is if someone does start seeing a pelvic floor specialist, is there still a point they sometimes need surgery for this? I mean, can you talk about that? Sure. So um, let's take a step back and touch a little bit more on prolapse. And I think that there's two things with prolapse. It feels kind of scary, like, oh my gosh, my organs are falling out. And again, it's not uncommon, but I always say that our bodies give us information, right? And so if you're experiencing prolapse, it's information that your pelvic floor muscles may not be supporting you as well as we would want, um, that the task that we're asking them to do is maybe too high for where they are. So that may mean heavy weightlifting or high intensity exercise, like running, or even lifting heavy, you know, kiddos when our pelvic floor has not been rehabbed to be able to sustain that. So I think we want to look at how is the muscle functioning, but also are we asking it to do too much when it's not quite ready for that? What we do when we see pelvic, um, when we see patients in the clinic for pelvic floor physical therapy is we, you know, we go through a battery of questions of, you know, let's ask about your urinary function and bladder health, your bowel function, your exercise habits. What do you do for work? Who else is in the home? Do you have help with the other kids? What are your goals? You know, someone be maybe experiencing leakage and they're like, actually, I'm more concerned about painful intercourse than the leakage. So we want to make sure that these plans are really individualized. And we also want to stress that there are things that you can do. You can work on pelvic floor strengthening, which part of that includes Kegels. But if you just sit at the stoplight in your car and do Kegels all day, that's not going to be what helps you. We need these muscles to function during the tasks you're asking them to do. So lifting your kids, um, doing jumping jacks, you know, um, lifting that box of Costco groceries, <laughs> um, running. So all of these things, we really need to train our muscles to a much higher level as we would any other sport that we do in life. Um, But also looking at how can we modify the things that you're doing? Is constipation an issue? Are you power peeing? Um, You know, things like that, that we're trying to really dig into. What can you start doing now to help? And then, you know, typically we see patients in our clinic, it could be three to four sessions over the course of a month. It could be, you know, six to 12 sessions over the course to three to six months. I would say I see most patients between three to six months. They come in either once a week or once every other week. And we really try to work on what they're doing at home that can help. So exercise is part of that. Minimizing straining and too much pressure is also part of that. 
And then also we may not get a patient to where they need to be. I mean, we can't guarantee everyone is dry and continent. So if they are still experiencing symptoms, do are do they feel like they're ready for surgery? Is surgery something they want to consider down the line? We do recommend waiting one year post-birth or post-breastfeeding for someone to consider pelvic floor reconstruction and that they're not planning on having any other children after that. Can I just um, ask a question that goes back a little bit to the what you said about asking, are we asking the pelvic floor to do too much too soon? How does a woman know that she's asking too much too soon? You had mentioned vaginal heaviness of feeling like you want to sort of like put your hands in there and, you know, give yourself some support. Also urinary incontinence and leakage, but is there anything else? Is there anything else that women could sense about their body that would tell them, hold on, take a step back. This is too much too soon. Right. I mean, I think unfortunately our system, our society is set up that most postpartum women are doing too much too soon. I mean, the research shows that almost 25% of women go back to work within two weeks after giving birth. I mean, you're still bleeding. And so it's just the reality of our system, our society, that this is unfortunately where we are really that very first week, try to rest as much as you can. I know that there's a lot of pressure to be social or attend things, but really just giving your body that really early time to recover as much as possible. Let some of those tissues kind of um, draw back in, hydrate yourself, have your first bowel movement, um, you know, increase your fluid so that you can, you know, um, help your milk come in or recover from the blood loss, but you're really recovering. And, you know, I have friends that are going out days later to events and they, it's good for their mental health, but for their physical health could be impaired. So try to rest as much as you can, at least that first week, if not the second, and then start to tune as you get more active, start going for walks, you know, check in with the pelvic floor PT around four to six weeks, start doing some exercises to just reconnect with your pelvic floor and your core. And then it's really recommended to not go back to any high intensity exercise, like jumping, running until 12 weeks postpartum, if you've strengthened. So some of it is symptom-based, but also some of it is being proactive and saying, can we just rest as much as possible and do some early healing to prevent longer term issues? Um, so Cynthia and I actually teach a fourth trimester workshop um, and one of the things that we tell the women in that workshop is that they really should be staying in bed near the bed or on the bed for a full two weeks yeah. and that that little extra investment in rest makes an incredible difference in their long-term healing. It does. I think another thing we forget that, or we don't even think about honestly, is that our pelvic floor matters our entire lives. It does. Yes. It's not only the part of our body that is for having babies. I mean, long after we have babies, we still need a very healthy pelvic floor. So that makes recovery all the more important. Sometimes I think women lower the bar a little bit, or I think sometimes when women realize they've had their last baby, they think they're in a livable, acceptable situation. So they just tolerate some weakness or inconveniences that they just figure they have to live with. But we really want to strengthen it now because it'll matter when we're old women still. Right. And I say, we only get one, <laughs> you only get one pelvic floor. So one, I think it goes to, you know, when, you know, we're, young women are hitting puberty or having their first menstrual cycle or having intercourse for the first time, really educating them on pelvic health and kind of what's normal, what's not, what can we do to prevent issues? But also I think that 
you know, when we, we encourage moms to stay in bed or I, I second that, but I also want to, I think that that does two things is one, it gives people permission. It says, it's okay for me to rest. I don't have to go back to my workout class within two weeks. It gives them permission to take it easy and not feel guilty that we're not back a hundred percent two days later. Unfortunately, we have other kiddos we have to take care of. We may not have partner support available all the time. And then we have some people who have children in the NICU and they don't have the luxury of that. So, but what can we even do to just help with healing of, you know, giving them advice on how to ice their scar or ice their, their, you know, vaginal floor afterwards, how to get out of bed, how to have their first bowel movement without straining, just those day-to-day things of still helping them minimize the risk of issues, but knowing that they may not have the luxury of bed for two weeks. So let's, let's talk a little bit about some of the practical things they can do. Like one, are there certain things that you tell women post-birth absolutely do not do these things? And then talk to us about like how to have a soft first bowel movement. What does that look like? How to pee your first couple of times after giving birth? Yes. I talk a lot about poop and I love it. <laughs> so <laughs> my boy, my said no boys, one ever, <laughs> said no one ever. And my two young boys love that we talk about poop openly in our home. Yeah. They, they like well, it. As sure well, they but, do. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, so, but you know, when I talk about pooping, it's because if you have had a terrible first bowel moon after birth, that can be more memorable than birth sometimes. So some of the things I encourage folks is to get on stool softeners day one, whether you've had pain medication, whether you've had an epidural, whether you've had an unmedicated birth, take stool softeners day one and take them for two weeks. Is that a medicine? But, what exactly is in that? A stool softener is like something like Colace or it's a, an over-the-counter medication that just helps soften your stool. They will give it to you um, if you ask at the hospital, and then you can also get it over-the-counter at home. Um, but what it does is, you know, you have a lot of blood loss after giving birth, and you also are a lot of the fluid in your body is going towards making breast milk. So you tend to get dehydrated, which is a risk for constipation. And if you've also had surgery or pain medication, that also slows your bo- your bowels down. So we just want to get that stool softener and hydrate as much as possible. The other thing, which we already mentioned is getting a squatty potty or using a stool under your feet to help put your pelvic floor in a more relaxed position. The optimal position for pelvic floor relaxation is squatting. So if we think about you're in, you know, East Asia or you're camping or wherever people used to squat to have bowel movements because it's the physiological optimal position for pooping. So putting a stool under your feet so that your knees are a little bit elevated. It's how we do it. It's, it's how we do it in the woods. Right. right. I mean, it's it's I mean, really not it, near a potty. That's what you do. That's what but, you do. But honestly, Sarah, should all women be doing that all the time? Should they all the be, time? I, I actually have a stool in my downstairs bathroom from the time that my kids were little, it was there to help them get up on the potty, but it, it's still there. And should everyone always be putting their feet up when they have a bowel movement? I recommend that all of my patients put their feet up when they have a bowel movement. And I do, I really think that we should just proactively do it. There are exceptions if you are experiencing prolapse and it's too much pressure on the pelvic floor. Um, However, I would say it's an optimal position to get your pelvic floor to relax. And constipation is the most common gastrointestinal complaint in the United States. So with our diets and our sedentary lifestyles or whatever the case may be, wearing masks and we're not hydrating, I think it's really optimal to just go ahead and put a stool under your feet. And then the last thing I was um, wanted to mention is not is to breathe out. I tell people to blow out like they're blowing out birthday candles or um, like they're blowing through a straw because if you hold your breath and strain, that tends to 
cause more pressure towards your pelvic floor versus relaxation. And straining like that with your mouth closed can lead to prolapse over time. Just like we see that a lot with, there's a little bit of controversy about how you should push with birth. Exactly. You need to, there there shouldn't be a controversy around it. Really. We need to breathe. We need to breathe. It's just that the controversy is perceived because we're still advising women incorrectly in hospitals to say, hold your breath and push as if it's a function of effort, but you can't keep the baby in at that point. So how do we facilitate this relaxation in this process? It is to exhale and breathe. (laughs) I am with you a thousand percent. And I educate a lot of nurses on this practice. And I mean, and I'll bring up the research and I'll say like the data clearly shows respiration and breathing leads to better outcomes. And so for the mom and for the baby. So, um, you know, we're trying to unwind a system that has just been in place for a long time. And so um, we are working on that hard every day. How about um, as it relates to peeing, some do's and don'ts? Hey there, all you amazing, strong, and beautiful women, especially you new moms and moms-to-be. I'm Taylor, co-founder and CEO of Vitality. And I'm Taylor's sister, Chloe, co-founder and chief design officer. We started Vitality to encourage and empower everyone to live a vibrant life. We're all about supporting women, especially on the journey to motherhood. When I was pregnant, I really struggled to find comfy leggings that I could wear all day, every day. So we set out to make the best maternity pants out there. We took those pain points and designed pieces that were supportive and comfortable, including details like a high-rise fit, underbelly seam, raw cut hems, and to top it off, we have an embedded silicone panel that acts like a built-in suspension system for your low back, which is the first of its kind. So we designed this line in our Marshmallow Soft Cloud 2 fabric in not only a maternity pant, but a volley and biker short as well. Let me tell you, all of these pieces are a game changer. Just go to shopvitality.com and cherry on top, you guys can use code down to birth at checkout to get 10% off your order. 10% off athleisure designed for pregnancy during pregnancy. Down to birth is sponsored by Postpartum Soothe. Recovering from a vaginal birth takes many women by surprise. Everyday activities like sitting, walking, and going to the bathroom can be uncomfortable. And Postpartum Soothe is just the remedy to support your healing and relieve discomfort. Postpartum Soothe is a 100% organic herbal blend that's applied to maternity pads in the days immediately following your birth, giving you all the benefits of a sitz bath 24-7. That's because herbs like comfrey leaf, uva ursi, and witch hazel are known for their antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory properties. Postpartum Soothe can be prepared anytime during the third trimester, and it makes a beautiful baby gift. It's a must for any woman seeking a faster, easier recovery from a vaginal birth. Visit postpartumsoothe.com. That's postpartumsoothe, S-O-O-T-H-E.com, and use promo code down to birth. Did you know that 97% of women take a prenatal vitamin, yet 95% of us are still deficient in key nutrients for pregnancy and postpartum? After a long time searching for the optimal prenatal nutrition product, we bring you Needed a radically better prenatal vitamin. Needed's nutritional products offer nutrients that your body can utilize with doses at optimal versus bare minimum levels and are available in capsules and an easy-to-take vanilla powder, perfect for those moms with pill fatigue or nausea. Needed is a woman-founded company offering a superior nutritional product lineup backed by research, data, 
and insights from nearly 4,000 women's health experts. Needed offers premium supplements for every stage, from egg quality support for women trying to conceive to lactation support for breastfeeding. And you know, Cynthia and I, we love their botanical sleep and relaxation support packets before bedtime. So if you are looking for a radically different prenatal, head on over to thisisneeded.com and enter down to birth for 20% off your first order. Absolutely. So um, there's two things that typically happen after birth is one, you have extreme urinary incontinence that you kind of stand up from bed and you're like, I feel like my water just broke, but it was my bladder. And so that's really where the muscles may not be strong enough right then. The bladder may be really full. Everything's just super exhausted. So give that a few weeks to see if that does get better. Um, And if you are still experiencing, again, leakage with coughing or sneezing, check in with the pelvic PT. Um, But I would say that you want to stay hydrated. People often think that if they over drink water or fluids, it's going to lead to more leakage, but it actually can lead to urinary tract infections because their urine gets too concentrated. So make sure that you're staying hydrated, sit on the toilet, don't hover. So instead of squatting over that hospital toilet or, you know, birthing center toilet, you really want to sit and then take some big, deep breaths. Breathing is actually part of the system that helps relax your pelvic floor. So, you know, kind of straining or pushing actually only causes your muscles to tense up more, restricting the flow of urine. So sit, breathe, turn on the running water if you need to do it in the shower if you need to, but just really try to have those first couple of urinations in a very soft, relaxed manner without pushing. I have a question. So I mentioned that client in my postpartum group who started talking about prolapse. And then of course, several women started sharing slash confessing from their perspective, their own issues. And one woman um, was talking about the degree of her incontinence. Her son is, I believe now nine or 10 months old. And she said she was playing with him and like blew a raspberry. She like did that little thing with her tongue where she was playing with him. And she said she started urinating and she couldn't stop it. It just released and she couldn't hold it back. And I was, I've been wondering all week, like what is happening in the body? Talk about everything being connected. I mean, right. what's That's happening in the question. body to, to trigger that? How's that happening? It's a great question. So when you're blowing out like that, it's just causing more pressure down in your abdomen, intra-abdominal pressure. And that probably just put a lot of pressure on the bladder that was really full. So it's a bladder being really full with this kind of added pressure. And then also her pelvic floor muscles, not contracting in response to that and said they relax. So some of the things that we work on are teaching women, again, it's using that muscle when you need it. So do a Kegel before you cough or do a Kegel before you sneeze. Um, and then if in this case, I would have her kind of practice a contraction before she blows out, but you know, you want to do it as a practice. And then when she goes to blow the little raspberry in her kiddo's tummy, then she's, you know, her muscles have automatically been trained to turn on in that instant, but that reflex is kind of dampened and lost over pregnancy because everything gets so weak. So again, this just goes back into kind of retraining our muscles to kind of turn on when we need them to. So And she likely had a very full bladder if that was the case. So, you know, just paying attention to, I need to go to the bathroom when I feel the urge to go instead of delaying the the urge and, or, and, or learning to strengthen the muscles so that they can turn on in those instances when we need them. Can we touch on Kegels for a second? Um, Just, I think there's a lot of confusion for women around when they should be Kegeling and when they should not be Kegeling and how much to do and whether to do them prenatally or just postnatally, when to start. And how to do them. And how to do them. Yeah. (laughs) 
you know, Kegels are so mystical and they were really developed by a gentleman, um, which is ironic that they have to do with a woman's body. But so the, uh, the Kegel is a pelvic floor contraction. So when we think about a contraction, think about your bicep. And when you bend your elbow, your bicep flexes, right? That's a contraction. So for the pelvic floor muscles, when you draw your pelvic floor up and in, the way I often cue people to do it is almost like you're sipping a smoothie with your vagina. I think what most people do is like they clench and clench and clench. And I said to my clients, it's not a matter of um, fatiguing the muscle, like work it, work it, work it. It's about controlling the muscle. It is. And it's teaching the muscle to be coordinated. So there's, you know, if you know that you have weakness, which it doesn't just go by based on symptoms because there are people who have incontinence or prolapse who have tension. And so if that's the case, you don't do Kegels. If you know that you have pelvic floor tension. So things we often see with a tense pelvic floor are like incomplete bladder emptying, a hard time starting your urine stream, constipation, painful intercourse, tailbone pain. Those are typically associated with tension. And that's when you'd want to do more relaxation work on breathing and stretching and maybe some intravaginal trigger point release to the muscle to help it relax. And then you strengthen. If it's just a pure weakness issue, so the muscle's fatigued, it's tired, and you just need to work on contractions, which a pelvic floor specialist would be able to advise you on a pelvic floor PT, then you can work on Kegel exercises. And that's that kind of drawing up and in maneuver with your pelvic floor. So the tricky part about this is that you want to start working that muscle in a, a lying down position where there's no gravity. So start just lying on your back, in your bed, on a yoga mat, taking some deep breaths and kind of contracting on the exhale and really getting coordinated with drawing your pelvic floor in, your lower abdominal muscles will turn on and getting used to that coordination. And then, you know, bring in other exercises like a bridge exercise or, you know, a leg march or something like that using the Kegel contraction. Then I transition people to doing the Kegel exercises in a sitting position. So then they have gravity and the weight of the organs on the muscle. So working against a little bit of resistance and then, but they still have support underneath them. So think of it of going from like a three pound weight for a bicep curl to a five pound weight. Once they can do those exercises really seamlessly and well, then we move to a standing position where there's no support underneath the bottom. And then we go to movement, squats, lunges, overhead leg lifts, um, overhead arm presses, leg lifts. So things to really you know, we want this muscle to work when we are running after our kids, when we're leaning back in our car to get, you know, to hand our toddler something, when we're lifting a box. So really functionally kind of progressing how we're strengthening the muscle and then also bring it into our day-to-day lives. So do you uh, recommend that women start Kegels shortly after birth when they're laying in bed and recovering or how long to wait? So what I, what I actually recommend is in those first two weeks, I actually have them work on their breathing. So just taking big, deep diaphragmatic breaths and then doing a little Kegel contraction on the exhale. And it's less about strengthening, but it's more about kind of waking those muscles up, kind of connecting mind and body. And then also just using a Kegel contraction to pump some of the swelling and fluid out of the vulvar area. Then when they start to kind of move and, and around four to six weeks is when I really start encouraging them to, you know, they they're they may be healed if they've had a tear, if they've had a cesarean birth and their scars somewhat healed, kind of get past that two week period, start doing some gentle walking. And then around four to six week, weeks, start doing some pelvic floor strengthening. If they're having a change in their symptoms, like pain is worse or, you know, more leakage or constipation, I would say they may have tension. And that's when I would check in with the PT to say, okay, I need to kind of relax these muscles first and then move on to strengthening. What about reverse Kegels? 
So reverse Kegels are when you're kind of pushing and bearing down, like the opposite of a contraction would be kind of a, a bulge. And reverse Kegels are what I train folks to do when we're preparing for birth, or if they have constipation, I'm training them to poop properly. Those are two instances where we want the sphincters to kind of open up with our breath. However, I don't have people work on reverse Kegels as an exercise. Um, I feel like it's you know, more often people have weakness in the area than we really want that. I don't want them pushing their pelvic floor down all day. We need to have some strength to that muscle just to help us walk around and support our organs and keep us continent. But I do work on reverse Kegels, teaching them to, to bear down, to exhale with that bearing down so they don't hold their breath, to prepare for birth and if they have pooping issues. And then I have them practice that, you know, if we're doing it for birth, I have them practice it lying on their back. I have them practice it in hands and knees position, lying on their side to really, again, functionally train that muscle to work in the position we need it to work. But I don't want people walking around pushing their pelvic floor out all day. So in the case of the reverse Kegel, you're saying you're showing them how to control the muscles. So they're not just like these lax muscles inside the body. We're not really consciously aware of. Right. Control and coordination. I mean, you coordinate it with your breath, right? So don't hold your breath and try to push out. Really, we talked about how breathing is really the natural way to kind of relax these muscles. So about coordinating these muscles with our day-to-day. So in pregnancy and late pregnancy in particular, are you recommending doing regular Kegels or no need to Kegel? During pregnancy, I love to work on strengthening the first and second trimesters. And again, not just Kegels, but hip strengthening, um, core strengthening, you know, all of these things, again, teaching people how to squat and lunge and bring the pelvic floor into that. Their body is changing. The pelvic floor is relaxing. The abdominals are stretching. How can we keep them strong, functional, pain-free during that process? third trimester, I work much more on relaxation. I feel that we want to train women how to relax their pelvic floor. We do much more yoga type stretches, um, perineal massage, teaching them how to reverse Kegel or exhale and bear down, really working more on relaxing that muscle in preparation for birth. Finding the perfect pregnancy and breastfeeding bra is no easy task. Your search is now over. Meet Davin and Adley, a mother-owned pumping, nursing, and maternity bra company with a unique, comfortable, and stylish cropped cami. This item is perfect to wear all day long from day one of your pregnancy right through the end of your breastfeeding journey and probably beyond. The Amelia cami makes pumping and breastfeeding easy while looking and feeling good on your body. It works seamlessly for both wearable pumps and flange pumps, and you can breastfeed in it. It also has a beautiful stretch lace back. You can sleep in it, dress up in it, go out in it, whatever you want to do in it. And trust us, the quality in this item and all of their items are top notch. They're soft, durable, and attractive. These bras will truly go the distance. Davin and Adley carry a gorgeous selection of maternity and nursing wear, and they have an innovative one-piece breast pad that we've never seen anywhere else. So no more losing those solo breast pads, ladies. Go ahead and check out the full collection of maternity and nursing items at davinandadley.com and use your promo code down to birth to save 15%. All right, breastfeeding moms, do you want to know one of our all-time favorite items for your nursing journey? If you know us, you probably could guess it. Yep, it's the Silverette Nursing Cup. These little nipple heroes not only protect, but also heal because they're made of real silver. It is naturally antimicrobial antifungal, and anti-inflammatory. 
These little cups will be your best friend in the early sensitive weeks of breastfeeding your baby. And our favorite part is they last literally forever. You can pass them on just like you would a favorite piece of jewelry. Head on over to silverettusa.com and use promo code down to birth to save 15%. The opposite of what many women think they should be doing, which is kegling the heck out of things in the last couple of weeks so they can have this really strong pelvic floor pushing power. Right. And, and that's the thing. Our pelvic floor muscles don't push our babies out, right? Our uterus does. Our uterus is a muscle that's contracting. That's what contractions are. And we're just trying to get the pelvic floor muscles out of the way <laughs> so right. to, it's, to it's get baby done. It's the opposite. What, what most people think. Right. And so it's really, we, we want to work more on relaxation. Let's go into diastasis for a minute because that is a big fear for people. And I think there's a lot of misunderstanding. We've touched about it. We've touched on it a little bit in other episodes, but I think we can reiterate that, you know, what is normal for diastasis and what should we expect post-birth? Right. So diastasis recti, and it everybody says it differently. I'm sure being from New Orleans, I say it different than y'all in Connecticut. <laughs> but, is that, is that proper diastasis recti? We would like to say it properly. Or is diastasis that... recti or diastasis recti. So okay. it's Kegel Kegel, you know? Okay. So, <laughs> but, um, so to, to take a step back about what is diastasis recti is it's a stretching or thinning of the tissues at the midline of the abdomen. So you have these kind of six pack muscles, which we call the rectus abdominis. And there's a little line down the middle called the linea alba. And that tissue gets stretched throughout pregnancy, which makes sense. It's trying to support a growing baby. What happens when that tissue gets stretched and it's not supporting your abdomen the way we'd like it to, it leads to diastasis recti, which is when you, if you did a little crunch maneuver during pregnancy, you almost see like a little dome or a coning coming up at the midline. So that's kind of how we can tell somebody has it during pregnancy. And they also may exhibit it postpartum as well. Or if you feel like your fingers are kind of sinking into the midline above the belly button or below the belly button. What it does, again, is it just gives us information. It's telling us that those tissues at the midline of the abdomen are not supporting us as well as we'd like. What we're asking them to do is a little bit more than they can handle right now. And we need to modify our activity and we need to start strengthening. The way that you rehab or re-strengthen that diastasis is actually the same way that you strengthen your pelvic floor. When you do a Kegel contraction, there's a deep abdominal muscle called your transverse abdominals that also turn on. They kind of work together. And that transverse abdominal contraction is what stiffens the tissue or kind of strengthens the tissue at the diastasis. So pelvic floor and transverse abdominal contractions, we kind of do them together, but that's what helps kind of bring back in that, that diastasis and, and fix it. The things you can do for prevention is I teach people early on in first trimester, how to get in and out of bed instead of just kind of crunching up or like leaning back, they need to roll to their side and push up to get in and out of bed. Um, when they're getting out of a chair to use their arms to help them pull up instead of just using their abs. And then also what's called, I tell them to do what's called exhale with exertion. So if they are lifting weights, if they're lifting their toddler, if they're lifting a car seat or a stroller to exhale as they lift, if they're not exhaling, what often happens is they're holding their breath. And then that pressure, that tension doesn't have anywhere to go. So it goes towards the path of least resistance, which is the diastasis. If you have diastasis recti, or it goes towards prolapse, which is the bottom of the barrel pelvic floor. So I always teach exhale with exertion and then modifying their activities during pregnancy. 
That is so interesting. I just want to slow down and let that hit home right now. I never understood that before. You explained why we need to exhale. Exactly. It's about managing the pressure in this little, in this cavity. So it's all about exhaling because if there's a path of least resistance, which is a weakness in the abs or a weakness in the pelvic floor, it's going to go there. And that's the opposite of where we want it to go. So if you exhale, that pressure goes out. It's such a shame that breathing has become so cliche. When everyone says breathe, like you're under stress, breathe. When you're doing this, take a deep breath. And, you know, it's so nice to hear you just explain. I mean, right there, you hear that one time and you're always going to want to breathe out when you pick something up now. Just thank we you do. for explaining that. And it's interesting. I mean, it, it takes us slowing down a little bit because we move so quickly in our day-to-day mom life. But, you know, when I pick my kids to get in and out of the car or I'm pulling them in and out of the bathtub, I exhale. And so it's just automatic now. And so it's, it, if we think about how people get hernias, you know, it's in, it's too much pressure and the pressure has to go somewhere. So it pops a little hole in their abdominal wall. It's the same thing. So we just, again, I really feel like these are things we should all know. And it's just such a joy to be able to share them because it's just part of living that we should be educated on early on. It's kind of like how the world realized 15 years ago, um, you know, the school system should be teaching kids about financial planning because what's the point in getting an education and making money if you don't understand financial planning? This is another thing. It's like we talk about health all the time. This is a major part of our health that there's absolutely no education. How important is this area of the body in men? Is it equivalent or is it less complicated for them? It's equally important. It's equally important that the difference is, is that their bodies don't go through the same transformation because they don't experience pregnancy or birth. So, you know, often I get asked, you know, a lot of questions about pregnancy and birth, which is wonderful, but I always say you can experience pelvic floor issues all across the lifespan. The reason I really focus a lot on pregnancy and birth is because our bodies transform so much and there's such little education on how do we prevent issues? How do we know if we have issues and how do we get help? So, but for male pelvic floors, we often see, often it's more of a tension issue, difficulty with bowel movements, um, weak urinary streams, uh, pelvic pain. Is there a prolapse possibility for them? There's not a prolapse possibility. They, there's in some cases where like heavy weight lifters will have a diastasis as well. You'll even see it on TV. You can see their abdominal walls separating and heavy, heavy weight lifters. And they experience- what's That called- sounds awful to see. You, just, you see it. You just said you can see it on TV when they're lifting weights. Oh yeah, when they're I lifting not and I can see it. So, um, and I'm like shaking my head. No, tell the cameraman, just like reposition the camera or something. That sounds like a really uncomfortable thing to watch. It just does not sound can healthy it, or safe. Can pelvic floor weakness impact their, their erectile function? So a pelvic floor weakness can affect erectile function. So either in a spasm or tension sense, or if there's a weakness, we often see more of a weakness with urinary leakage or um, erectile function with males after a surgery. So if they have a prostate surgery or procedure, that's more when they're more likely to experience symptoms. So I used to work a ton with um, male patients who had had a prostatectomy for prostate cancer, and they would often experience urinary leakage um, or erectile dysfunction. I just can't help but wonder. I mean, I, it's, I, I more than wonder. I, I am developing a theory that one of the reasons this area of our bodies has been so ignored is that it is specifically more complicated with women. I mean, it, you're nodding, right? I mean, it still affects men, but 
it seems like the painful sex doesn't affect them. It seems like the prolapse doesn't affect them. We're doing things that provoke the issues like giving birth. And therefore, I don't mean to sound cynical, but we see this a lot. I mean, this entire field is unaddressed. It's just starting to become an awakening. It's just starting to become things that pregnant women hear about when I, that's why I asked, that's why I actually asked the question about erectile dysfunction, because if it were a very common thing for men, you know, there would be a lot more. Right. Right. (laughs) Put it at the top of the list. Congress will be creating new bills around it for sure in no time. So there's two things. And I mean, this kind of goes on my whole, you know, rampage about, you know, women's health. But um, one, historically, research is done by male physicians. I mean, that is changing now that we have more female physicians in the field. But that has been where the research dollars have, have not been spent is on women's health because we're not doing it. And that's changing now. Like endometriosis and fibroids, two other right. completely unaddressed issues. Exactly. And then the other thing is, you know, if there, there's actually a really funny um, article, it's actually not funny at all, but it's a really interesting article about how many studies, and it's in the tens of thousands have been done on Viagra and uh, erectile dysfunction versus female pelvic pain and painful intercourse on women. And it's like a couple thousand on female pelvic pain. So it's an under-addressed, under-researched, underfunded issue. And, you know, I think a lot of this is there's, when physicians, medical providers don't ask about pelvic floor issues, patients are not likely to share them proactively. So it really comes in all, you know, all angles it needs to change that medical providers start proactively asking about them and then knowing where to refer them. I don't expect OBGYNs or midwives to become pelvic floor experts, just like I'm not, you know, going to be birthing babies. Um, or performing surgery. But I think we all need to work in collaboration to say, how can we offer the best experience possible for this patient to give them the best chance of of, of positive outcomes? So it's a really team effort. And in my community here in New Orleans, we work with a ton of physicians, doulas and midwives, because we're, we really want this to be a collective and, and partnerial experience for the patients. So one, practitioners need to ask about it and know where to refer them and not just give them a brochure to do Kegels. Two, you know, I think that patients need to speak up about it and share their stories just like they did in your postpartum group, because it, it's one, it's relieving to be able to talk about it. And then more people start opening up about their experiences. So you realize how common it is, you feel less alone and you can start getting resources. We can't end the episode without touching on painful sex. Because our sex lives matter too, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So if we needed more barriers, as if we needed more barriers to having sex after having kids, right? So um, (laughs) (laughs) there's so many reasons. And if there's pain on there, it's like absolutely a (laughs) no-go. Nine out of 10 people after giving birth will experience pain with sex the first time they have intercourse after giving birth. And Again, it's one of those things that if that is persisting, if at three months it is still painful, you need to go check in with a a medical provider or a pelvic floor physical therapist. Commonly, the reasons that someone experiences painful intercourse after birth are scar tissue. So um, a perineal tear and episiotomy could be causing some restriction, um, some tightness, tension at the vaginal opening and doing some soft tissue massage or perineal massage to the area may help. If you've had a cesarean birth, Um, People who've had a cesarean birth are actually more likely to experience painful intercourse because the fascia from the abdomen wraps down to the pelvic floor. That fascia gets really tight and tense. 
And so working on some cesarean scar massage and then releasing internally can also help. Vaginal dryness, if you are lactating, if you have not had your menstrual cycle return, if you're on hormonal birth control or hormonal contraception, that tends to cause low estrogen in the body and it can cause vaginal dryness, rawness, irritation, and then tight muscles. Again, some people have muscle tension and muscle tension can um, make intercourse feel like either one, their partner's hitting a wall or two with deeper insertion, it feels bruisy, it feels tender. um, And that's a sign of some tension that needs to be addressed. So again, lots of reasons all in the pelvic floor region. Um, Using lubricant may help, but it's not going to necessarily solve all of the issues. And if you do experience this, I mean, I've had people who I've seen two to three sessions and the pain that they've experienced for 11 or 12 months goes away within a month. Just working on some of the tissues you know, and getting them soft and relaxed and teaching them to release. So it's, um, I think it's a, it's a really common experience, but there is so much help for it so that you don't have to just tolerate it. I hear so often I can tolerate sex. I'm like, sex should be enjoyable, not just tolerable. And so even within myself, I've experienced this postpartum and I'm like, so thankful. I have the knowledge of, let me try these things and see if they help. And I can kind of target it And I think of so many people who just don't have that awareness and um, could really use the support. I'm glad you mentioned that the first time people have sex postpartum, nine out of 10 times, they are feeling pain because it isn't always that there's going to be chronic pain post-sex, but most 90% of people are going to feel it at least that first time. And then that's just sort of your way of your body saying we need to go slow and reintroduce this, give it a little more time maybe, and just be very uh, conscientious and careful and gentle the first time. Absolutely. So Sarah, I think everyone can hear this and understand the importance of their pelvic floor health, how it's affecting other things in their lives. But in my own experience in working with women all the time and encouraging them to go to a pelvic floor specialist, I can tell you the obstacles that I always hear from them when they are delaying or they're putting it off when they're putting it off or they're reluctant to go is they're concerned about the effort involved, the fact that they have a baby to take care of the energy that'll be required in doing their exercises at home, like any physical therapy, and then the cost, because it's often not covered by insurance. I mean, I can't wait till we get to that point where it finally is like acupuncture and other things that should be naturopathy. Um, but can you respond to that? You know, what, what's your response to that? Cause those are real obstacles and we want to help women get past them. Absolutely. So, you know, there are pelvic floor physical therapists all over the country of the United States, all over the, the world. And oftentimes it's just asking your medical provider, doing a Google search. Um, there's a couple of websites, uh, pelvicrehab.com, where you can actually find a, a pelvic floor PT in your area. Some may take insurance and some do not. And so I would work with them to see if you can find one that does take insurance. And then with regard to effort, yeah, it does take effort. I mean, just like taking care of our bot. I mean, everything from taking a shower and brushing your teeth when you have a newborn to, you know, fitting in exercise and fitting in a pelvic floor physical therapy session. So we allow babies to come to our clinic. You know, we have an area where a mom can pump or breastfeed or whatever the case may be to really try to facilitate the ease of that experience for her. You know, I developed this program over the past year with online strengthening, online childbirth preparation, because I've found that it is really hard. I'm a mom myself to carve out the time to commit, you know, 10 minutes, three times a week. So just really kind of, I'm really trying to create 
a platform where it's just easy and accessible and affordable for people to be able to get these resources. Pelvic floor physical therapy is really such an amazing tool to be able to help moms return to function, feel strong, and not feel like they just have to suffer with this new body that they have, that they can really still thrive in motherhood and do the things that they want to do. Thanks for joining us at the Down to Birth Show. You can reach us at Down to Birth Show on Instagram or email us at contact at downtobirthshow.com. All of Cynthia's classes and Trisha's breastfeeding services are held live, online, serving women and couples everywhere. Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice. For our full disclaimer, visit downtobirthshow.com slash disclaimer. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, hear everyone and listen to yourself. And y'all, I mean, I think what this is, is like, we all have a shared passion for this. I get fired up because Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, I just really feel so passionately about like what we're doing here. And so, and y'all are the same way. So it was just really easy to play off of that. You know what this makes me think of? You know what this makes me think of? Someone respond to me, say, yes. No, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were just waiting for the moment. We didn't know it was rhetorical. <laughs>